Well, good morning. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, I'm a little sleepy. I kept hearing dogs barking all night long. <laughs> Georgia bulldogs barking. But anyway, uh, thank you for being here this morning, especially if you're with us for the first time today. We know that you have lots of great choices of places to worship here in Murfreesboro. We're honored that you are a part of our worship service today. Uh, we are in the second week of a sermon series that we're calling The Good News About Death. I know we don't often associate death as bringing in good news. Uh, I know that it's probably not a great idea on a beautiful sunny day as a way of getting more people into church than to do a sermon series on death. But at the core of the Christian faith, there is a word about death and a word about life beyond death. And that's what this sermon series is about. Today, our passage of Scripture is this lectionary reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And the title of the sermon today is Grieving with Hope. Grieving with Hope. Now, I can still remember my very first Friday in ministry as a United Methodist pastor. I just graduated from Candler School of Theology at Emory University. I'd moved to Columbia, Tennessee, where I had been appointed as the associate pastor. And somewhere in the Bible, it must say something about senior pastors always get the Friday off, right? Every church I've ever been in, it's the senior pastors that get the Friday off. And so what that meant for me was that if there was a pastoral need or an emergency that would arise on Friday, it was my responsibility to respond to that need. Now, my senior pastor at the time had hoped that he would be there for at least a few Fridays because I didn't know anybody. And so in the event that there was a pastoral need, he was going to go with me to kind of make, what am I looking for? Introductions, that's the word. Thanks for nothing, Jim Clardy. <laughs> Somebody back in the choir bailed me out. He was looking for an introduction. And, and so, but on this first Friday, something came up, and he said, I'm not going to be able to be into the office. But don't worry, Tommy. Fridays are really slow. Nobody's having surgery on Fridays. It's typically just a sleepy day in the office. So I showed up on that Friday thinking that I was going to get my office together. I was going to get all my books up on the bookshelf. I wanted when people stopped by the office that first Sunday uh, that I was there that they would walk in and they would see an associate pastor that was ready to do ministry. And then the phone rang. The phone rang, and apparently one of our male members of the church had suffered what appeared to be a heart attack while mowing the grass. They were taking him to Murray Regional Hospital, and they thought it would be a good idea if the pastor showed up. So I get in the car, and I drive to the hospital. And when I get there, I'm looking for the family. I'm told that they are in a consultation room off to the side, and I walked into this room, and there was a crowd full of people, family and friends, that had gathered together in that room, and I've never felt more awkward in my entire life. 
because I don't know a single person in that room. I have never met them for even the very first time. And I'm walking into this room, and I'm really feeling the anxiety. And not only that, I've never had a pastoral emergency like this before. I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to respond. I can remember to this day just how uneasy it felt to be in that room. And, and I hadn't been in that room for very long when all of a sudden the door opened and in walked the doctor. And the doctor, upon identifying the wife of the man who had suffered the heart attack, walks up to her, pats her on the back, and says, I'm sorry he didn't make it. And I'm sitting here looking around like I don't know anybody here. And all of a sudden, this woman breaks down in tears. And if that doctor said anything else after that, I don't remember it. Because everybody was kind of focused on the wife who had just found out that she'd lost her husband. And, and the doctor walks out. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wanted to walk out with him. Because I didn't know anybody in that room I'd been to seminary, but nothing really prepares you for a moment like that. It was, it was frightening for me to be in that room. And I thought about it later. I, I, in the moment, I felt like that the doctor was rather insensitive, that, that, that he could have handled that in a much better way. But, but then again, maybe I was just so all up in my own emotions and, and anxieties about being in that room and that, that I just didn't see the sensitivity demonstrated by the doctor. It might have been there. Or it could have been that the doctor had another person in the critical care unit that needed his attention more than what he could provide in that moment in that consultation room. It could have been that this doctor had been exhausted after a 12-hour shift or something and just at the, at, at the point of just passing out tired. Or, or it could have been that, that this doctor um, just realizes that in order to make it through a day in the life of an emergency room or a critical care unit is that you can't allow yourself to get emotionally invested in what's going on in a moment like that because it, it might prevent you from being fully present and at your best when you go to help someone else. Or it could have been that this doctor just had been around death so frequently that death is just, to him, a natural and normal part of every day, every week. It's as natural as the sun rising in the morning and the sun setting in the evening. I, I really don't know what was going on in the doctor's mind that morning. After the doctor left, though, I, I, I saw something else that it kind of... De demonstrates how we often respond to death. Uh, all of the friends and all of the family that were in that room, they began to rally around that woman who had just found out that her husband was died. And, and, and not all of them, but unfortunately some of them were saying, well, at least Tom's in a better place. Somebody said, well, I guess the Lord just needed more angels in heaven. There were other people that were saying, well, at least he didn't suffer long. It was quick, his death. At least he didn't linger. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I should have left with a doctor. 
Because I didn't really know how to handle that situation. But what I did know is that some of those com comments, while well-intended and well-meaning, probably weren't going to help much in that moment of profound grief. And as I've reflected on it all these years later, it's almost as if uh, the doctor and all of those families, no one wanted to acknowledge that grief is present, that the grief was there. They were trying to, to short-circuit the grieving process. And I know all of the people in that room were godly people, and I, I, maybe even the doctor was a follower of Jesus or a person of faith, but, but my experience of Jesus is that that's not the way that Jesus would have handled that moment. Perhaps the best example of that is in Scripture in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha, their brother, is critically ill, and so they send word to Jesus, and they tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Jesus decides that he's going to go visit Lazarus, but by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany at the home of Mary and Martha, we're told that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. What Jesus did not do in that moment is said, well, I guess my Father in heaven just needed another angel. What Jesus did not do in that moment, well, at least Lazarus didn't suffer very long and didn't linger. Or Lazarus is in a better place now. And Jesus also didn't say, well, don't worry about it, uh, Death is natural. It's normal. It's like the rising and the setting of the sun. Don't cry. Jesus didn't do any of those things. Instead, what we're told is that Jesus wept. That Jesus grieved. That Jesus acknowledged the tremendous pain and anguish associated with saying goodbye to someone that we love. Jesus didn't try to short-circuit grief, His own or anyone else's. Jesus gave permission in the way that He grieved for all of us who come after Him to grieve. But Jesus didn't only grieve. Jesus grieved but with hope. Jesus knew that Lazarus' death was not the end, and Jesus ended up bringing him back to life. It shouldn't surprise you then, as a follower of Jesus, that Paul would have a similar understanding of how we should approach the death of people that we know and people that we love. Uh, Paul would not short-circuit grief either. Paul wanted us to know that it is important for us to grieve, that it is okay for us to grieve, that it is good for us to grieve. But Paul would say that it is not good for us only to grieve. It is good for us to grieve with hope. And for Paul and for us, that hope comes in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because death was not the end for Jesus, Paul wants to remind us that death is not the end for us. Paul is addressing a very specific 
concern in this letter to the Thessalonian church. Uh, when Jesus was ascended into heaven, and, and Hannah talked a little bit about that in her sermon, in her children's sermon this morning, uh, when Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven to, to sit at the right hand of God the Father, as he's doing so and as Jesus disappears into the clouds, the disciples are looking up at him, wondering what's happening. And, and Acts chapter 1 tells us this, as they're looking up into the sky, watching Jesus ascend into heaven, that these messengers of God, robed in white, they come to the disciples there on earth. And among other things, they tell those disciples that in the same way that Jesus ascended into heaven, he will also return to the earth. And the early church believed that. They believed that when Jesus ascended into heaven and promised that he would come back, and the messengers confirmed that promise, that Jesus was going to return. Not only did they believe that promise, but they also believed that it was imminent. They believed that it was going to happen very soon. They certainly believed that it was going to happen in their lifetime. But as the days turn into weeks, and as the weeks turn into months, and as the months turn into years, they begin to get a little worried. Some of those faithful people in the Thessalonian church that were absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to return before they died began to die themselves. And when, when their fellow uh, church members began to die, then they began to to, to worry. They began to be reminded of the way that they'd understood death before they had the encounter with Jesus, that death was final, that death was this great separator. It separates us from the people that we love. It separates us from God. They began to worry now that Jesus hadn't returned and that their loved ones were dying, that, that this death was going to separate them from God that this death was going to separate them from their loved ones. They are so worried. And they don't have a New Testament like we do today so that you could go back and read through it and see what the Scripture might have to say about that now that Jesus has come onto the scene. They don't even have churches with hundreds or thousands of years of tradition or experience where they've been grappling with these questions. All they've got is Paul. And so they go to Paul, and Paul is responding to that need about what's happened to our loved ones who've died. Have they been permanently separated from God? Have they been permanently separated from us? And Paul is responding to that concern in the way that he, in what he is writing in our text today. And so Paul says to them, if, for those who have died, your loved ones who have gone on and died before the return of Jesus, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. He says that uh, he uses this imagery from the Hebrew Scriptures, this imagery that was also prevalent in other apocalyptic literature, and he starts talking about this commanding voice coming down as someone speaking with authority and with power, and he starts talking about how this 
trumpets going to blow, and, and that was a, a, a something that you saw in Old Testament Hebrew writings where it would announce the arrival of a supreme ruler or an authority figure. He's talking about clouds, and God has often been associated with clouds throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And whether or not you take this literally, is this is what's going to happen, commands and trumpets and clouds, and a lot of people do take it literally. Or whether you think that Jesus, uh, Paul is talking metaphorically or figuratively, and there are a lot of people who think that that's what's happening here too. I don't care where you fall on that spectrum. Here's what I want you to remember. Paul says that there will come a day when those who died, who have died, will be reunited with those who are alive, and they will live forever with the Lord. This is where we get that understanding that one day we will be reunited with the people that we know and love. Because Paul says that when Christ returns, that the dead in Christ will rise and they will be joined together with those who are still alive in Christ and we will all live together forever with the Lord. What Paul wants them to realize is that it is okay to grieve when people we love die. It is okay to experience those raw emotions of pain and anguish and loneliness. Don't try to short-circuit your grief. But also, Paul says, don't just grieve. Grieve, but grieve with hope. Because death is a reality, but death is not final. Death is the passageway that we go through in order to experience the future life eternal that God desires for all of us. The future that God has prepared for us. That is the good news about death. It's been swallowed up in victory. It is a reality, but it is not our permanent reality. Death is the dark before the dawn. And that is why we grieve, but we grieve with hope.